The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. Following the news, I interviewed the dynamic husband and wife team of Len and Armine Wicks founders of Origins Discovery and their Adoptive Village project. Uh, next, I interview uh, Eric Strong, who is a candidate for LA Sheriff, so stay tuned. Here are some news items from over the weekend and this morning. The Biden administration has signed its first contracts with a COVID-19 test manufacturer as part of President Joe Biden's efforts to distribute half a billion free rapid tests throughout the country. The Department of Defense awarded a $51 million contract to Gold Belt Security LLC for delivery of over-the-counter COVID-19 test kits. With this contract, the administration is purchasing existing tests the company has, according to a White House official. The administration plans to sign other contracts for manufacturing. The Supreme Court's conservative members appeared to cast doubt on the authority of the Biden administration to impose its vaccine or test rule on large businesses when it convened for a special session to weigh disputes over President Biden's COVID-19 vaccine requirements. At the heart of the first set of cases is a rule from the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, that requires businesses with at least 100 employees to either require workers to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 or subject to weekly testing and wear face masks. Several of the court's conservative justices indicated they're skeptical of OSHA's authority to issue the vaccine or test rule and suggested such actions should be taken by Congress or the states. The House Select Committee investigating the Capitol attack is examining whether Donald Trump oversaw a criminal conspiracy on January 6 that connected the White House's scheme to stop Joe Biden's certification with the insurrection. The committee's new focus on the potential for a conspiracy marks an aggressive escalation in its inquiry as it confronts evidence that suggests the former president potentially engaged in criminal conduct egregious enough to warrant a referral to the Justice Department. The California National Guard will now assist in COVID-19 testing sites as demand for tests has increased along with a spike in cases. The governor activated the National Guard to increase capacity at testing facilities. More than 200 Cal Guard members will be deployed across 50 sites around the state, serving as interim clinical staff while permanent staff is hired. Emergency rooms across California are coming under strain as they deal with an increase of both new coronavirus positive patients and people coming in to demand tests all as their workers are increasingly being stricken by rapidly spreading Omicron variant. Last week, 973 new coronavirus 
cases were reported among healthcare workers. According to the County Department of Public Health, up 47% from the previous week. Husband and wife Len Wicks and Armina Wicks are the founders of Origins Discovery and Adopt a Village project. Len is a New Zealander and an Australian, and Armina is originally from Armenia. Their organization and projects to help rural communities have received high praise and worldwide attention for innovation economic development, and sustainability. Len and Arminet, welcome to the Blancos with Vic this morning. How are you today? We're very good, thank you. Hello, thank you, very good. Great, you're coming in from uh, Australia. We are yes. 19, hours, 19 hours apart. Yeah, we're in Queensland, sunny Queensland, so we're, we're 18 hours. Uh, Sydney is 19 hours because they have a daylight saving, but uh, we're sunnier than Sydney. You know, let's get right to it. I was very inspired by uh, your story, if you can call it that, but I, I would say initiative, your work, and what you're doing. The reason I wanted you on my show is because, you know, oftentimes we, we talk about what the government can do for us, leaders, politicians can do for us, uh, or we complain about things that are wrong. And uh, what you've done, and we'll get into that so that uh, people listening know what I'm talking about. What you've done is you've actually taken initiative, uh, taken the, the bull by the horn, as they say, and you've really made a big difference. Uh, you have, uh, years ago, you launched what's called the uh, uh, Origins Discovery Organization, and it's a program which is Adopt a Village in Armenia, in rural Armenia, where you are helping these uh, villages that are not uh, as focused on and they, they need the extra help so that people uh, can really focus their help and their benevolence uh, on these smaller villages that, that no normally don't get as much attention from uh, neither yeah. the Armenian government nor diaspora, because there's a lot more focus on mainstream Yerevan, Gumri, etc. And um, before I go any further, uh, one of you, if you can tell me about your initial organization that you launched uh, and what that looked like and where it is now. First of all, thanks for the opportunity, uh, Vic. Uh, uh, we're inspired by your program and. Uh, and uh, we hope this opportunity is, is going to allow us to reach to a lot of uh, good people there in the United States and beyond. Uh, Origins uh, is really about attracting people to Armenia. Uh, there are a number of uh, sub-projects, uh, such as the Silk Road Wine Trail that we pioneered in Fayatsor, uh, because we're based in Arani, the famous wine-growing region. Uh, and uh, the, the part that prepares Armenians for uh, visitors is, is more about the Adopt-A-Village program. Uh, you're right that uh, we don't like uh, just talking about things, we like action. So we didn't wait for a particular government. Uh, we've been doing this for many years since I, I met my Armenian wife and was inspired by the journey of her people. Uh, basically, I was inspired because of the injustices that had been experienced by the Armenian people. And I, I don't just mean 
those in Armenia or Artsakh, but also the diaspora, Pakistan, uh, all sorts of uh, areas where there's been injustice. So in summary, we wanted to make sure that we were trying to do something, uh, but we're just very ordinary people. And uh, Dr. Village is about trying to connect very ordinary people to, to make that special difference. And also, we didn't want just sit there and wait to see what someone else will do, what government will do. I think we all should do whatever we can without waiting that someone else will do instead of us. I did uh, forget to uh, mention to those listening that uh, you are this dynamic couple. Um, Len, you are New Zealander slash Australian. And Armina, you are originally uh, from Armenia, and yes. you live in Australia now, but you're about to migrate permanently uh, mm -hmm. to Armenia uh, yes. <laughs> very soon. Yes, yes Arthur Samantha, bites. Yes, I am. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> we so, call it uh, Armenian by choice. <laughs> yes, an honorary one. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for that. And uh, you know what's fascinating is I was, you know, after having talked to you and looking at all the materials you sent me and everything, and it just dawned on me that one of my sort of unrealistic fantasies that I have when I get a little bit tired of city life, because I grew up in LA and the traffic and all of that is, I always say I want to, because I'm not a beach person at all, I always say I want to retire in a little tiny cabin uh, by the mountains where there's a river that flows next to it. Then I was looking at where your lodge is and I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> they, they did exactly what I've always fantasized about, except yours is a much bigger scale. So let's talk about the RNE Lodge, which as you said, it's in, it's in the RNE region, the wine region of Armenia, which is getting a lot of attention in the wine connoisseur uh, uh, crowds, if you will. Uh, and you, you've, you're building this very sort of hybrid lodge that can have multiple purposes uh, on this huge property that also has a museum and a cultural center. How did that idea come about? Um, well, when I went to RNE, I understood it was a very special place historically, culturally, scenically. Uh, if it was a similar place in the United States or Australia, there would be hotels everywhere and uh, thousands of visitors. And many people don't even know that uh, during communist times in the 30s, there was an uprising against the communists uh, from RNE. And uh, there's so many incredible historical events and, and uh, features that I went there, came to this beautiful site. And as is common in rural Armenia, I looked around and said, well, why hasn't anyone uh, made something of this very special place? Uh, why, why can't we provide some jobs and some hope for the people? Because after all, it's mostly about providing hope the enemy is just a couple of kilometers away. Uh, you know, we know that there's a threat. Uh, so we need to populate, not depopulate, 
which is why I get a little bit anxious when I see so many projects going to Yerevan, new statues, new parks, uh, new churches. Uh, what, what's needed is an, a complete uh, opposite uh, change and emphasis in, in that the heartland, the rural heartland, such as Arani, uh, is emphasised and economic development brings population uh, and and wealth. I don't really want to talk much about the the lodge. Uh, the lodge is going to be a fantastic place from, from which we base uh, our endeavours and also, but it will be used as part of our Adopt-A-Village uh, agricultural training because we have, uh, we have a partnership with uh, Green Lane NGO. Uh, but, but mainly I, I, I prefer to focus more on the, the museum. And as I said, we are just ordinary people. So it sounds all very grand. Oh, you're building a lodge. Oh, and you're also building a museum. But we can't do it by ourselves. We're very ordinary people. And this is where we're asking others um, to, to help out both Armenians and friends of Armenia. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jorami, and you are listening to my interview with Len Wicks and Armina Wicks, who are the founders of Origins Discovery and Adoptive Village Project. I believe uh, you have a fundraiser coming up in Australia. Uh, for this uh, museum and cultural center. Before we talk about the fundraiser and how people can participate and donate and help out, uh, tell me a little bit about the museum. What sort of a museum will it be? The museum, it, uh, it will be built uh, with the houses looking like uh, around century ago houses. So it will remind people old village, Armenian village where people would be dressed in our national costumes and we will have village uh, elderly people sitting in a yard playing Nardi so the visitors can get all that uh, sense of uh, real Armenian rural life. And uh, when museum is built, it will be gifted to the community office so they can actually do all the management themselves and uh, uh, so the profits can go to developing the community and also to helping people and uh, the houses will represent different uh, cultural aspects armenian so it would be like jewelry house uh, armenian kitchen winemaking uh, metalwork and so on and also school where like uh, we will have music and dance. An important part of Armenian culture, when I went to Armenia, quite often I would joke with Armenia and say, well, where are the dancing girls? Where are the dancing girls? I wasn't being unkind or rude. But at the same time, where can you go to see and experience all of these different things in one place? And that was the whole idea. Yeah, everything in one place. <laughs> Is there like a, a any kind of a particular collection that will be or you're like a special thing that you're planning for the museum or you're leaving that mm -hmm. out to the community to decide? So, so several of the craft houses, as we call them, uh, which have been donated, uh, we are discussing with the, the families that donated those. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be one family, uh, but they, those families that donate enough to construct a, one of these small uh, craft houses, they, they get their family name on it and then they get a say on what goes in there. So we are going to be uh, looking for various uh, artifacts and interesting things. Now we have liaison with government and with the um, uh, people that uh, also run the uh, RNE1 cave complex. So for example, we're hoping to display some of the uh, articles uh, if we can. Uh, one little secret I can tell you, uh, please don't tell anybody, uh, is that we we designed a, um, a special uh, hatch car of all Armenians, which uh, will be placed near the sculpture house, as we call it. That was actually donated by a non-Armenian friend of mine, Captain Robert Swain, who we're very grateful for. Uh, and it will go on like that. So to answer your question, we don't have specific artifacts. We will work through that. Uh, the first thing, we bridge we have to cross is actually constructing. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, uh, as we construct the buildings, we will, when we're there, uh, locate a lot of interesting, both um, inanimate objects, but also remember, as my wife was saying, Part of the museum is about the people there as well, too, not just the, the things. Absolutely. It's the entire experience. Too bad you can't have the shoe. I, I, I doubt the Armenian government will part with that. <laughs> and for those listening, uh, so RNE is, is the wine region, Armenia's wine region. And a few years back uh, in a cave, they discovered a winery, which is not believed, but it's, uh, it is the oldest winery uh, found in the world, uh, and in the same uh, in the same sort of vicinity, they found the world's oldest shoe, and that's the shoe that I'm referring to. <laughs> that uh, I don't think the Armenian government will uh, will part with that for the museum. Uh, so that's a that's a it, it it's it's such a comprehensive sort of. Um, uh, a campus, for the lack of a, a better word, that you are building. So let's talk about this. Um, uh, let's first talk about the fundraiser that you're having, um, you know, what it benefits, and also tell us how to uh, participate, uh, contribute, all of that. Well, the, the fundraiser uh, is in some ways our uh, goodbye to our friends, uh, our colleagues in, in Australia, though we know most of the people that will attend on the 19th of uh, February, that's Australian time. So I guess it'll be in the evening in the, of the 18th in US time. Uh, most of them will be attending by remote means anyway because of this, this pandemic. Uh, but we're going to try and gather as many people as possible uh, to um, say goodbye. But we're very fortunate uh, uh, because we have uh, a, a large number, I think more than 24 um, speakers uh, and wow. uh, entertainers, yes, uh, who uh, they're from different parts, including the United States. Uh, and, uh, also from Armenia itself, we hope that the the um, community here will 
uh, will be uh, presenting from the museum site, which is in the, one of our vineyards uh, next to the Arpa River. So even with snow there, they, I think it'll it'll be wonderful. Hopefully, there's snow. <laughs> yes, and uh, and so hopefully. Uh, with a just under three hour event it won't be too boring because it'll be like a telethon style thing and we already have the gofundme uh, active um, we're very grateful for the um, donations already uh, we hope that in the lead up uh, people will uh, donate using the gofundme link but uh, more but because and we understand this completely trust is a huge issue when it comes to donations, especially to Armenia. Uh, we hope that people, having had the opportunity to listen to the participants, many of them are very senior people uh, from uh, different important parts of uh, the um, cultural spectrum, from science, from, from tourism, and many other areas. Once they tell you about what we're doing and have done, and also a little bit about their trust in us, hopefully, uh, then people will um, hopefully contribute. And, and every every dollar is really important. It doesn't matter if it's only a few dollars. So it's it's the it's the thought that that counts. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Len Wicks and Armina Wicks, who are the founders of Origins Discovery and Adopt a Village Project. So how can, how can people find out more information and the link to the fundraising? Right. Sure. So uh, the uh, RNE Lodge uh, website is simply that, A-R-E-N-I Lodge, all one word, dot com. So uh, go to rnelodge.com and on the homepage, you'll find a link to the uh, museum page, uh, which is called RNE Open Air Cultural Museum. Uh, and on that page, uh, you'll find uh, not just uh, details of the fundraiser, which is called Armenian Defense and uh, Culture uh, Fundraiser, uh, but also uh, some information about a little competition that we, we're running. So, so uh, for every uh, dollar donated, uh, people can go into a competition for a trip that we're personally donating uh, to for uh, two people to come to Armenia and stay in our in our lodge, which uh, we hope uh, will be very successful. Uh, just to add a little bit of a thank you from us personally, I might add, sorry, uh, that of the funds that uh, that are being contributed to build that uh, museum. Uh, we personally also donating one third of those funds. Wow, fantastic. So when people donate, they're entering a sweepstake, if you will. Indeed. Uh, yeah, every $10. Every $10. Yes. And that website is rnelodge.com. And that's A-R-E-N-I Lodge, L-O-D-G-E.com. Uh, so people can go that to rnelodge.com. Find out more info, read up, look at pictures, uh, uh, the sort of the process and all of that, as well as about the fundraiser and how you can uh, attend um, live uh, yes. and also and donate. Yeah. Um, also, sorry, Vic, uh, also if they go on Facebook to RME Lodge, then they will find the link uh, for event 
where actually the Zoom link and all the information is there. Uh, on Facebook, is it an event or an actual page for RNE Lodge? And on an actual page for RNE Lodge, there is an event created especially for February 19th. Okay, fantastic. So if you go to Facebook and do a search, RNE Lodge, a page yes. will come up and you can like the page so you can keep get, getting updates as well as uh, look at the event on the page, which is the fundraiser uh, yes. itself. And so you're about to move to uh, Armenia. <laughs> yes. And uh, are you going to be staying there uh, at the lodge yes. initially? Yes. You're gonna go I'm even there. taking my 85-year-old mother there. Wow. So uh, my family think I'm a little bit crazy moving from the beaches of Australia to Armenia. But I think you, you can't do human rights because I'm a genocide activist as well. You can't do that part-time. You, you can't pay lip service to... Um, trying to support uh, people um, in a um, you know less well-off place. Um, I could sit on the beach and just drink beer, but uh, uh, I gave up my job in the United Nations to commit to um, to helping because I, I don't I don't think it's right that that we sit here with so much in, in the West and we and we uh, we talk about our assets and we worry about silly things really when there's so many more important things to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If, if we all do just a little bit, uh, you're doing a lot, but just a little bit, uh, we will uh, turn things around from this yeah. uh, last year and a half. Yeah, this tough year and a half that Armenia and Artsakh have had. Uh, Look, I, Vic, I can tell you, you know, I don't just do this as a charity. I, I believe in Armenia's potential. I believe that uh, the green lands, which are largely underdeveloped and not, not, not with too many sciences either, uh, the, the, the young people, you see the light in their eyes, how smart they are. I believe that there's so much opportunity. I mean, it's one of the, the only democratic places in that, in that part. And I believe that uh, just giving these people an opportunity, actually, it's not so much about charity. I believe that Armenia will become, uh, you know, quite wealthy in its own, its, its own way. So in fact, those who are thinking about uh, perhaps good business, like we're, for example, even thinking about uh, opening a, a high technology school there. Think about it. Uh, wages uh, are not high. Um, given an opportunity, people work hard uh, for that opportunity, much harder than, than they might here in Australia. Uh, it's close to major markets. So why wouldn't you think about uh, if you were thinking about investing? So I encourage everyone listening to think not just about charity, but also about business. Absolutely. It's, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing that you are doing. Uh, I want to um, thank you for uh, being on the Blunt Post with Vic. I want to say good luck, although you don't need it. And uh, I can't wait to uh, see the lodge, the museum in its majesty when it's time and it's ready and all of that. So thank you, thank you. And uh, uh, again, it's ironylodge.com and also on Facebook to find out more, to attend 
the fundraiser live and to uh, donate, contribute, and get connected to um, Len and Armina. So thank you again. Thank, thank you, Renny. We should just quite quickly mention that those who want to, to put questions in during the fundraiser can also join a Zoom link, which we'll provide. So it'll, only, it'll be streamed also on Facebook. So uh, we, we do hope that people will attend in, in uh, different platforms as they see fit. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All the best from Australia. Well, that was my interview with uh, Len and Armina Wicks, uh, who are in Australia right now, but moving to Armenia soon. And their uh, organization, uh, Origins Discovery, and their project, which is Adopt a Village, is uh, really fantastic. And they're doing extraordinary work. Thank you to both of you, Len and Armina, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic and uh, I hope to speak with you again soon. The Blunt Post with Vic. Eric Strong is a Los Angeles native. After attending USC, he served in the Marine Corps and began his career in public safety in 1993, following in his father's footsteps to become a patrol officer for the Compton Police Department. Eric is a founding board member of Police Against Racism, which strives to dismantle systemic racism in policing. He's also a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He has personally been targeted by police, has family members that have been incarcerated and killed by police, and he has also been a victim of crime. Over his 30 year in law enforcement, Eric Strong has led units across virtually every function of the LA County Sheriff's Department, from patrol to courts, custody investigations, internal affairs, risk management, and auditing. Good morning, Eric. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? Good morning, Vic. I'm doing well, and thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, it's always good to talk to um, great new energy in our city, in Los Angeles, and greater Southern California um, leaders who are trying to uh, create change and have an impact. I want to ask you a general question before we get into some specifics is, as we are um, right now in this sort of second phase of COVID, uh, as well as, you know, a lot has happened in terms of uh, law enforcement. There's been a lot of, you know, especially last year, there were a lot of uh, police brutality and our country. I feel like we're kind of in this transitional phase and things are a little bit they're not so black and white, not that they ever were so black and white, but I feel like there's so much happening that our focus sort of constantly shifts. But because we're going to talk about your candidacy uh, for the L.A. sheriff, how do you what's your perspective on where we are and especially pertaining to where we are with law enforcement in uh, Los Angeles? You know, Vic, I think that where we are right now is in a place where people are ready for some real change. Uh, I'm going to use the word drastic, and I don't know if that's the best word. Uh, I don't think people want to see the needle, you know, bump a little bit and then have anybody proclaim progress. Right. I think we want to see something that's relevant and real, and I think it's got to be more than just data-driven uh, statistics. Uh, we need to ch see some 
definitive change in policing and public service and the way that people are treated. Uh, and so I think the world is ready. I think we've been calling for it for quite a while right now. But I think with the Derek Chauvin, Jer uh, George Floyd incident, right. I think people are no longer going to be pacified by some basic statements and proclaiming reform and rebuilding without some real action. Right. And, and I know that's what I'm ready for being an L.A. County resident. Yeah. Yeah. People don't want to hear rhetoric and um, sound bites anymore. Uh, well, you certainly have the, the background and the experience. You've been in law enforcement since 93. It's almost 30 years. Yes. Um, and um, I personally, I'm, I'm, I'm not for, <laughs> I, I hate to use this, this term. Uh, I'm not anti-law enforcement um, or even necessarily uh, about um, sort of defunding police, quote-unquote. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps certain things, uh, you know, need to be looked at. But uh, in general, uh, I'm a little bit more pragmatic than that. And I feel like sometimes we ask our elected officials to, <laughs> to like literally make perfect both sides, and it's impossible. Right. Um, you know, we, you know, when police brutality happens uh, and we're angry and the community is angry and for good reason. Um, so we come out and, you know, there's a lot of anti-law uh, enforcement sentiment and let's defund and all of that. But at the same time, we want our neighborhoods safe and we want criminals caught and all of that. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, which makes obviously your job uh, so much more difficult. An example of it is, is I've, I've sat through like City of West Hollywood uh, council meetings and, and you'll have like one group of people come and say, you know, people are driving really fast on the street. We need to put more bumps and, and stop signs and even traffic lights. And then you have the other camp that comes and says, it takes me, you know, 45 minutes to get from Robertson to, uh, <laughs> you know, to um, La Brea, yes. <laughs> you know, do something about traffic in West Hollywood. So what are council members supposed to do, which we're, we can't do both. And I understand that about law enforcement. How would you, how do you address that sort of that being caught in the middle thing? That is a question that I have been trying to figure out for almost 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you know, you want... And, you know, and the best thing I can tell you, Vic, is is I, I want what I what I would want is how I would want to be treated. And I think what a lot of people really want is to know that they're being heard and know that their voices matter. But at the same time, they're very reasonable. And this is in my experience, they're very reasonable to what makes sense. Mm -hmm. But you know what we need to do? We need to explain it to them. We need to have a conversation. We need to have some dialogue. So, for example, citizens, community members, they don't want police jumping out of the car and putting their sons on the hood of the car and searching them and putting them in the backseat of the car. But as you said, they want to feel safe. Right. How do we do that? One is we have to better train law enforcement on how to recognize real criminal behavior in other words i go and i teach i teach all over you know the the country and i was teaching in uh louisiana 
and I, I put pictures on the wall and I guess uh, on a PowerPoint. And my question is, can your average police officer tell the difference between a, and I'm going to use this example, between a blood gang member wearing red and throwing up a hand sign versus, let's say, a college kid that's in a fraternity called Kappa Alpha Phi, I mean, Kappa Alpha Kappa, and they have red as their color right. and, their, and their hand signal, you know, looks very much the same. Right. Can you t can you differentiate? Can you tell the difference? You know, the, the Kappas have been around for over 100 years, you know, whereas, you know, gangs and bloods have not been around that long. And so which one who, who mimicked who? Right. I, I think it I think it really just comes down to be able to have that conversation. And what, I, what we really need to do is we need to have a true representation of law enforcement in the communities that they work in. Unfortunately, right now, nationwide, nationwide, and I think it just went down not too long ago, but law enforcement is almost 70% male white. Right. What does that mean? Nationwide, 30% of law enforcement, that doesn't mean that they're black or Hispanic or Asian or Armenian uh, or Persian or, you know, or Pacific Islander. It means that everybody else makes up that other 30%. Right. Yeah. However, when we go into the communities, and let's just talk about the black community, although in LA County, they're, they're less than probably, what, maybe 9% of LA County, they make up in the 40s of the amount of contacts and the amount of rest and the amount of citations and the amount of uses of force. So I know this is a, a probably a short answer long, but I think that people will feel more comfortable if they see people that look like them, that represent them, right. that can understand them, and that can relate to them right. in their communities providing these services. I think they'll feel more comfortable. I think trust will become organic. I think communication will be better. And then we'll be able to kind of kind of mitigate that balance about having, you know, having like you said the speed bumps but we want traffic to flow faster right you it, know it, it, it yeah i'm sorry go ahead no no i'm just saying it's gonna yeah. it's gonna come from you know um having a little bit on both sides absolutely this is the blunt post with vic on kpfk 90.7 fm i am your host vic jarami and you are listening to my interview with eric strong who is a candidate for the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. You know, what's interesting is I remember right after Rodney King beating, you know, this came up, uh, not about sheriff, but the LAPD, of how representation of people of color was so low. And it's been, it's been well, exactly 30 years. I think, I, I believe Rodney mm -hmm. King happened in 91. It's yes. 30 years and we're still talking about it. Yes. You know, we're talking about it. And, and especially in Southern California. I mean, it's one thing if, you know, it's an issue in some, I don't know, you know, Idaho or Wyoming or such. But uh, we are in L.A. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest back, melting pots. Yeah. And it goes back to what you said. You said people don't want to see, you know, a little change. They want to see something drastic. And that's um, that's absolutely true. And I, I don't know how you feel about um the recent recall of Governor Newsom, but I think what what got a lot of people to um, 
not a lot of people, but at least the other side to want to recall him was that he did come into office and make drastic changes that people wanted. Um, and I and I applaud him for that, and I respect respect him for that. And sometimes, not sometimes, usually actually, when someone comes in and doesn't play politics and politics of respectability, and is not a diplomat, but rather someone who gets it done, and there's always going to be a counter, um, you know, a counter movement or counter attack uh, mm-hmm. per se. So I like I like seeing people like you who want to go in and like really do some cleanup and yeah well mm-hmm. go ahead uh, no i was just going to say I, w- I want to agree with you so much because you know you mentioned it you know 30 years have passed and what's really changed we're still facing some of the very same problems mm-hmm. uh we're still facing some of the very same community concerns and, and what that tells me is that we keep to, trying to do the same thing and expecting different results. Right. So right. we need to do something different. Yeah. Uh, or as they say in 12 steps, if nothing changes, nothing changes. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Uh, just a side story. You know, I've been, uh, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. I have over, over 13 years of sobriety. Congratulations. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I've been lucky um, that twice I've had I've been stopped by law enforcement, and they were nothing but very respectful. Um, mm-hmm. I certainly didn't deserve it. You know, let's just leave it at that. So, but but I, you know, but that's just my experience. Um, Got it. That I've had really yeah. great experience with law enforcement. So, um, you know, that's just my experience. Uh, you know, everyone has their own. But going back to you, so there was, I was reading about you, and one of the things that I read was that um, that you wanted to acknowledge and look into deputy gangs within the department. I, I'm just going to leave that to you to explain um, sort of what you mean by that. Well, you know, there's been this issue of these deputy gangs and cliques uh, that probably go back to the late 70s, 80s, you know, with, with the Vikings in Linwood. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, it's been an ongoing topic. I mean, of course, it, it raises its ugly head, you know, uh, at times, and then it's it's uh, kind of swept underneath the rug at other times. But right now, it's something that's um, very prevalent. It's very big, and it's and it's a topic of conversation. Uh, going back that amount of time, and again, it goes back to what I say: we're still here. We're still talking about this. You know, it, it was it was brought up during the Baca Tanaka regime, right. you know, about what are you going to do with it? You know, it was brought up during the, the Jim McDonald regime. What are you going to do with it? And now here we are. We're still talking about it in 2021. And now we have a current sheriff that basically says they don't exist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we just want to look at it from the outside, well, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. It, it's not going to keep coming up if there's not something there. And no matter what name we want to put to it, if we want to put gangs, if we want to put cliques, um, whatever we want to call it, it's something that's having a negative connotation on law enforcement and on this department, on the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. You know, I attended the FBI National Academy uh, in 2016 at 231 other students um, representing 48 states and international students as well. And, you know, I posed this question, you know, are you guys seeing this in your agencies? And if you are, how are you dealing with it? 
And inevitably, everyone told me that is something unique to LA County Sheriff's Department. Really? Yes. Interesting. And I have lots of friends in law enforcement that I've talked to. And, you know, they all just shake their head, you know, and, and they say, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we don't even experience. And especially at smaller agencies, you know, you don't experience that kind of thing. So what that, what that does, Vic, is it, it doesn't give me a will, you know what I mean? You know how they say, don't recreate the will, right? You know, go to something that works and it's been effective. Well, there's nothing that works and has been effective out there because other people don't experience this. And so, right. It, it's unique to the sheriff's department culture. And what's, I think what's important to know about me is that although I've been with the sheriff's department 21 years, um, I didn't start off my law enforcement career in the sheriff's department. You know, I worked two other agencies prior to that. So it, it's kind of like having an upbringing. You know, it, it's kind of like growing up in one, in one city or area or neighborhood and then relocating. Right. That place you came from is always kind of home. You know, so... So I was never indoctrinated into this sheriff's department. I've never been invited to be in a clique or in, or in a gang or never uh, been invited. And I've never wanted to be. I've never, you know, sought it out or anything. Right. Um, so I, I'm going to say this. I, they do exist and they're a problem. And we need to take some definitive steps to address it. I, I think enough studies have been done. Enough investigative journalism has been done. We have enough cases within our own internal ranks in, ter in terms of internal affairs and so forth. Um, we have enough oversight that has looked at this and, and, and has identified it as a problem. I think it's time that somebody comes in and says, hey, yes, it exists. Yes, it's a problem. And we're going to do something about it. Uh, up until now, nobody's done that. As a matter of fact, everybody has pretty much said, oh, it's, it's no big deal. Um, or they'll say, we'll deal with it, we'll address it. Uh, but again, it keeps rearing its ugly head. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I think it's something that, um, you know, it, there, there's some deep cultural issues there. And when mm -hmm. I say cultural, I mean, a lot of the people who have come up through the ranks are these same people that were part of these cliques uh, in the beginning, right. either started them. And some of those are, most of those are kind of retiring out now. But they were either probably some of the founding members or even now some of the members who have been there, you know, you wait 10 years and now they're up in the command positions and they're making right. decisions. So, um, yeah, we, we need to change happening. some things. Yeah, exactly. It keeps happening. Uh, you know, the sheriff's department exists in a silo. Uh, they are very unwilling to go outside Um and, and ask for help or ask for assistance. I mean, it's the largest sheriff's department in the, in the country. So, you know, they're oftentimes looked upon from smaller agencies as the model for a lot of things. And so I think with that, you can develop a sense of, um, uh, a sense of maybe arrogance. And I think that's what we've seen sometimes, you know, we're the sheriff's department, you know, uh, what are you gonna tell us? Uh, mm -hmm. So it, it's gonna be imperative to, to bring in some outside views uh, to address this problem. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Eric Strong, who is a candidate for the LA County Sheriff's Department. I'm glad you said that because later I was going to ask you about, uh, and I read your some of the comments you'd made and your, how you're feeling about uh, uh, District Attorney George Gascon. 
but it sort of reminds me of some of the changes that, because I interviewed him before he was elected about what he wanted to do, and I've interviewed him recently as well. Uh, some of the drastic t- changes that he's made and such. Is there a place where the two of you sort of um, meet? Like that you start to like parallel? Because it, it to me, it seems like you two have a lot in common because you're trying to sort of get in there and make some drastic changes, which will, you know, ruffle some feathers and for him and there it already has. How do, how do you, is, is there any kind of a, for lack of a better word, collaboration there? Well, well, of course. I mean, um, law enforcement uh, needs to be able to work with the district attorney's office. You know, the, the district attorney's office is part of the, um, you know, kind of the law enforcement community. Right. It, it really is. Um, so, you know, no matter who is in there, uh, we have to be able to sit down at the table and, and work together. Uh, I, I can say this, that one thing you'll hear from me often is about balance. Um, short of things being absolutely illegal, you know, wrong is wrong and right is right. I mean, right. I don't care if you're in, in China or Russia or Europe or United States um, or, or Mexico or any other country, stealing is stealing. Right. You know, uh, I don't care what state we, we put the penal code to, but the bottom line is stealing is stealing no matter what. So there are certain things that, that are pretty black and white. I think with me, a lot of things that you'll hear me continue to say is balance, balance, balance. And what I mean by that is that I don't know that we should put a blanket over anything right. and say that this is going to solve the problem. You know, I, I think that we need to look at things. Um, for example, let's look at enhancements. You know, when we're looking at um, uh, prosec- prosecutional enhancements, I think maybe we go from a position of starting off without enhancements, but then there's the ability to argue for them. Right. But to just flat out say no enhancements, you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. like putting an even so that what that means is that even if it's deserving and even if it's if it's if it's needed and you know, then there's no room for it. Okay. So I do think there's a place that we sit down and we talk. Um you know, I've worked internal affairs and, and I've seen a lot of the misconduct that comes on. And, and my thing is this, any law enforcement officer or deputy or, or any police officer at all that feels like Gascon is going after um, law enforcement, my question to you is, what did you do? You know what I mean? In other words, right. do, you, do you not want them to go after law enforcement because it's law enforcement? Or do you not want them to go after law enforcement because you don't want to be one of the ones that gets prosecuted. Right. So if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do it, then I don't have to worry about how many law enforcement officers Gascon is, 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 is going to say he's going to prosecute. Cause I, I'm, I'm going to say it's not me, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to stay out of trouble. I think where we, yeah. we, we get into a, and there's a lot of Vic, there's a lot of cases out there that are just above above board. They're above the water. They're they're no brainers. Right. They're no brainers. Um, you know, cases with DNA evidence on law enforcement that have sexually assaulted you know uh, people in custody. Mm-hmm. That's a no brainer. But these are some of the cases that weren't prosecuted before. Mm-hmm. You know, so 
Um, yeah, a lot of people don't necessarily like his stance on things, but I think, you know, there's absolutely room for us to have a discussion and, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to speak it into the air once in office, you know, he'll be one of the, one of the first people that I, I sit down and have a conversation with and say, yeah. you know, how do we work together? And, and working together doesn't mean absolute concurrence with every idea. And how refreshing because whether talking to him or to you, both of you are just really straight up, um, sort of blunt and, and transparent. And I don't hear all this sort of PR, <laughs> like PR taught uh, sound bites. You know, it's just like real direct talk. And I think that's what people connect with. Right. You know, and I hope that people understand because I hear this all the time. And I, because I've, you know, I'm no, I'm not an expert, obviously, in, in, in this field, and I haven't been in it. Um, but I've sat through, you know, many meetings and symposiums and, and council meetings and such. And people forget that you cannot make everyone happy all of the time. <laughs> no Never elected will. official, no one is ever going to have, because it doesn't exist, an answer that's going to take care of all the problems equally perf in perfection. And that we allow um, our elected officials to do um, the best that they can where it helps the, the largest number of people. Um, and I think the hope here is that people like you are coming in um, who are not afraid and are just sort of, you're just going to go for it. Um, and you make no bones about it. Uh, <laughs> So the next the next question I have for you is so you are you know you've joined six other people who are running um, for sheriff uh, for the election which is next year um, I, I won't really discuss them but uh, I want to know from you what are the fundamental differences between uh, Sheriff uh, Villanueva and you Oh wow uh, that is a that is a very um deep question you know i've known sheriff being um probably i think since 2004 2005 i've known alex uh he was actually my sergeant um when i was a deputy for a period of time and the fundamental differences that we have is just character um everybody is has talked about your you know i won't say everybody but most of the people that i've talked to have said hey he turned his back he lied to us you know, he bamboozled us. He told us one thing and he did another. Um, I don't I don't think many people that know him are surprised. Mm -hmm. I think the voters are surprised because they believe what he said. Uh, but I'm not surprised in what we're seeing at all. This is who he is. Um, fundamentally, I'm not a vindictive person. Uh, fundamentally, I don't think that I'm the smartest person in the room in every room that I walk into. Fundamentally, I, I know how to uh, get along with others even if I don't agree with others. Um, I think fundamentally it just comes down to character and, and doing the right thing for the right reasons. Uh, you know, so uh, I have more experience than him. You know, I've done more than him, even though I, I, I spent less time on this department than he did. You know, I actually tested and promoted beyond, you know, past him. Um, so fundamentally, it's going to come down to our character. It really is. That was my interview with Eric Strong, a veteran of the L.A. Sheriff's Department for almost 30 years, who is now a candidate to be L.A. County's next sheriff. 
uh, the elections are next year. He's definitely a very progressive and out-of-the-box uh, candidate. Uh, so good luck to him. And thank you, Eric, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible. And KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 6 a.m. for another episode. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic.